0: Blackhawk, a leader in law enforcement and military tactical gear for over 20 years, invites you to share in the holiday saving. From now through December, visit Blackhawk.com to sign up for exclusive offers to fit your tactical needs. Holiday offerings from Blackhawk include holsters, belts, lights, chest rigs, pouches, and so much more. Blackhawk, born from experience, made for the mission.
1: I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernial. Carol serves as Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's past Chair of the Board of Directors of the National Council on Aging, a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, and they just recently issued their comprehensive report to Congress. Carol has a Master's Degree in Social Gerontology, over 30 years or nearly 30 years of experience in the field of aging and caregiving, and she's one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. And Carol journey I didn't mean to make you so much older. It's not over 30 years.
2: Well, I was just, no, I was just thinking about that. And I was trying to decide, yeah, it's over 30 years. <laughs> so <laughs> you can say that.
1: <laughs> well, you found the fountain of youth. So that's there a good thing. There we go.
2: There we go. You know, that, that I used to joke, you know, the, the way that you stay young is you major in gerontology and you work with older people because there's <laughs> always somebody almost older than you, who will think that, you know, is it Liz Smith, the the song, it said, I wish I were, you know, 30 again. She's like, hell, I wish I was 70 again. So I can go pretty high up there and still be younger than someone else.
1: Well, we are delighted to welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, Dr. Margaret Chisholm. Uh, Dr. Chisholm uh, is Vice Chair for Education, Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences and Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. She directs the Paul McHugh Program for Human Flourishing. And we'll talk about what flourishing means in just a couple of moments, which fosters a humanistic clinical approach to patient care, which is not a bad thing. And uh, her book, Survive to Thrive, we'll talk about that as well. And Dr. Chisholm, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air.
3: Oh, I'm really excited to be here and you know, I. I think I made a mistake in not becoming a geriatric psychiatrist <laughs> because maybe oh. I would feel young too. Now. <laughs>
2: that's well, right. We, still could time to switch. we could have used you too. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's a, it's a burgeoning field, that's for sure. It
3: sure is. There's
1: a huge need. So, Dr. Chisholm, when when you talk about survive to thrive, what is it you're talking about?
3: You know, lots of times physicians and psychiatrists included. Uh, caregivers of any kind will think about getting somebody stable from their acute illness or preventing somebody from, uh, you know, they'll think about preventing somebody from sliding into worse and worse functioning or getting somebody uh, better from their acute symptoms. And what I'm talking about in, in From Survive to Thrive is actually helping people lead more meaningful lives regardless of Their signs or symptoms of psychiatric problems, and regardless of their functioning, um, people can still lead full lives. Obviously, we want to help people to recover from their symptoms of illness, to recover uh, some functioning. But even if people are unable to do so, they can still lead meaningful lives.
2: Well, you know, I'm in looking at you know the word flourishing and the survive to thrive, and you're working in behavioral health. I'm curious. You know, there's a lot more talk about the the impact of COVID and depression, and and sort of this whole uh, you know, lack of behavioral health system that we have. Are do you feel like we're turning a page? Are are we really making progress and uh, finally recognizing uh, how deep that hole is?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know the pandemic's been uh, a. a- terrible experiment in social isolation and really shows you how important our connections to one another are. It's uncovered a lot of mental health problems. It's caused a lot of mental health problems. Um, and so finally, I think people are, we are turning a corner and people are beginning to talk about this experience, um, their own mental well-being. And again, it's not all about psychiatric illness, not about necessarily psychiatric diseases, but it's just about the well-being that we all are striving for. And, you know, sometimes we are able to find and other times it eludes us. And so thinking about what we need in order to lead a good life is is really what the book is about. Um, it's about thinking about psychiatric problems, but also about what we need to lead a good life. What are the components of a good life and how do we get there? And obviously social connection is a really important part of leading a good life.
1: How do you define good life?
3: Well, I look towards the philosophers (laughs) (laughs) who've been thinking about this for thousands of years. um, And it's pretty much agreed upon that there are these components of a good life, happiness, life satisfaction, uh, mental health, physical health, meaning and purpose, character and virtue, and close social relationships. And obviously, material security, security, financial stability is is part of that. Not every one of those is essential to leading a good life, but I think it's certainly um, those are the domains that most people agree upon are, are part of a good life, the components of a good life.
1: Let's talk more about that in a moment. But I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Our special guest is Dr. Margaret Chisholm, a psychiatrist whose book, From Survive to Thrive, uh, is available. We'll tell you how to get a hold of it as we continue with this program. But uh, Dr. Chisholm, there's an interesting uh, dichotomy that has taken place because of COVID. We have told caregivers and seniors and others don't isolate, don't isolate, you must socialize. And then with COVID, isolate, isolate, don't socialize. Uh, And it's trapped a lot of people in very difficult circumstances.
3: It certainly has. I mean, people across all age groups and all walks of life have suddenly become isolated from one another. And, you know, we've always known that that being a caregiver can be isolating. Uh, Being a new mother can be isolating. Um, and so what happens when you mag- magnify that isolation? I mean, I think technology has been, uh, you know, a godsend really to help people at least connect in um, two dimensions um, and, and bring people together. We had a, had a program that we devised at, the, at Hopkins in our department for caregivers of, um, and people with uh, early dementia, bringing them together online. Um, to look at art together and have an experience that we would love to have had in the art museum, but bringing them together and just activities like that, um, even though they're not the same as being in person, can be, be enriching and relaxing and provide uh, some sense of connection, even during this time of isolation.
2: So let me ask a question. If, you know, do, do we have to recognize that we Are feeling isolated that we may not be living a good life? I mean, what's like like the first step if all of a sudden we open the door and we're like, wow, something is wrong with my life. It's not, this is not what I want.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting question and one that scientists have been looking at. So the uh, flourishing model that I reference a lot is one that was developed at Harvard fairly recently and actually Through a very generous uh, donation from the Templeton Foundation, they're partnering with Gallup and going to be administering this flourishing measure that they developed there in 22 countries. But that that measure was based on a model um, that was developed from the scientific literature, looking at these large epidemiologic data sets where they followed people for 30, 40 years. And they looked at those components of a good life. And then they looked at the people that were actually achieving those uh, elements of a good life. And they looked at what they had in common. And what they had in common were these causal factors that are suggested through this, um, through this (laughs) epidemiologist work, um, these causal factors that will help people flourish. And one of them is family, another is work, another is education, and another is community. And so when We are finding that we are not leading a flourishing life, perhaps because of the lack of close social relationships. Then looking at those pathways and the way that we can strengthen those pathways, are there ways that we can connect or reconnect with family? Are there ways that we can connect or reconnect with communities? Um, Specifically, a lot of the work has been done around faith communities, religious communities. Is there a way that we can uh, further our education, not necessarily formal education, but are there ways that we can learn new things? Uh, you know, and sometimes it's a lot easier now to learn these new things because uh, activities that you may have had to travel for that may have been expensive are um, now available online, often at reduced costs. So, are there things that you want to learn to play the guitar, to um, whatever, become part of a book group that was? difficult for you to get transportation to. You can do those kinds of things online. So learning um, and engaging in that is a way that you can flourish. And again, even though it's two dimensional, sometimes these are activities that wouldn't be accessible to you either because of costs or geographic barriers um, if, if they weren't online. And then work, is: are there ways that you can give up your time, whether it's through paid employment or, or voluntary work? That you, can, um, that you can feel of service and that there's somebody depending on you to get a job done. So there are all kinds, I think, of opportunities to strengthen those pathways, even during the pandemic.
1: You've used the term, and we threw it around as well, flourishing. And that's one of those, we all know what it means, but none of us really understand what it means. When you say flourish, you mean?
3: I mean the same thing as leading a good life. Um, Aristotle, philosopher, uh, Called this eudaimonia. It's a state when you know everything is working well, more or less. And you're. It's. I, I use it in ex, in exchange for words like thriving uh, or having a sense of well-being. It's broader than just being happy. Um, and sometimes, as I said, there's some people with depression that can still feel like they're leading a good life despite being aware that they have uh, depression. So it doesn't. You don't always have to be. Totally happy to be leading a good life and feeling like what you're doing is meaningful and that you have inherent worth and value.
1: I was touched by the prologue to your book, uh, written by uh, one of my baseball stars, Cal Ripken, who was an incredible baseball player. Uh, and, and as he wrote about the transition he had to make from baseball to retirement, it was real tough for him. And I want to talk about that with you in just a couple of moments because you'd think if anybody could flourish, it was Cal Ripken, if you know who he is, by the way, just an incredible ball player who rarely missed a ball game. I'm Ron Aaron. This is Caregiver SOS on Air. Along with our co host, Carol Zornio, we're talking with Dr. Margaret Chisholm about surviving and thriving. Stick with us. Hello, old friend.
3: Hello, friend. Really good to see you once again. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Really
1: good to see you once again. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co host, Carol Zernial, And we're talking with Dr. Margaret Chisholm, a psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins University and an author. Survive to Thrive is her latest book. And we're talking with her about what that means and what flourishing means and how we can reach that better life, a good life. And I was asking her about Cal Ripken, uh, former baseball player, heck of a shortstop. uh, And and he wrote the prologue to her book. Uh, If I can be a fly on a wall, did you get to hang out with Cal Ripken?
3: Oh, yes. It, I actually, I'm I'm starstruck as well. I'm a big baseball fan. And so and he's a very tall, uh, handsome man. And uh, yeah, so it's easy to be starstruck with him. But, yes, we've we've been uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to hang out with him a few times. And I was really
1: touched by uh, his very honest comment that uh, the transition uh, from ball player to retirement wasn't easy for him.
3: Yeah, you know, the thing is that, as we all know that life uh, in life, we experience a lot of losses, right? Uh, We have roles that we have to give up and transition away from. And, you know, you think somebody like Cal Ripken, who's got everything, this incredible baseball player, Hall of Famer, um, who, you know, had to give that up eventually as all athletes must. And what a loss for him. Uh, that he had to deal with. So, you know, I think he's dealt with it very well uh, through his work, his volunteer work and his dedication to family. But it's still, um, you know, it's always a struggle to give up uh, a role that you've enjoyed.
1: And yet the flip side of that, uh, and and this is not a sports show, but we can continue the analogy, are are those uh, players, be it football, basketball or baseball, who don't give it up, who, who aren't willing to give it up Whose career uh, simply falls into the abyss because they didn't want to say goodbye.
3: Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I understand, but it's it's great to leave on a high note. I think so. It, it's. But I, I'm a big sports fan as well, and uh, at least in baseball, you have a longer time usually than football to enjoy playing uh, at in in the top, at the top of your game. So, Carol.
2: Well, in, in thinking about Cal Ripken, you've got somebody who's had a very positive life experience, right, very famous, and it's difficult for him to transition. What, what about people who may, you know, may have uh, a history of mental illness, uh, may have depression, or, or their life has not been so great? Uh, in the book, From Survive to Thrive, uh, you talk about a choice about not allowing those past life experiences to define your future. What does that mean?
3: Well, I mean, I think that that's one of the, the biggest goals for me as a psychiatrist is to help people see the agency that they have uh, over their own lives. I mean, there's, of course, always random act, acts of tragedy that happen and things that we uh, that life throws at us that uh, we'd rather not have had to experience. But nevertheless, we have a choice as to how we deal with those events and, and how we make meaning of those events. And so a lot of, I think, of the healing work that has to be done when working with people who've experienced um, episodes of mental illness or other occurrences in their life, other problems of, that have, they've had emotional reactions to or um, have, has affected their thinking or their behavior, is really to process those, to deal with those, and to tell themselves uh, an adaptive story so that they can move forward in life and focus, instead of focusing on these things in the past, be able to move through them um, and get to the place where they want to be.
1: And can folks do that on their own or do they need help? I'm thinking about a story uh, involving my mom who, uh, after my dad passed away, uh, she'd been his caregiver for several, several years, and she was clearly depressed. So I called her one day and, and I said, Mom, I, I get the sense that, that you're depressed. And my mom, who had a great sense of humor, said to me, Ronnie, your dad's dead. I'm living alone. Of course I'm depressed.
3: Yeah, and she exactly. went on from there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to um, share in the book was that there are There are different ways of understanding the origins of problems that we have, Um, and some of those are best explained as diseases, things that come upon us, things that we have um, that we don't have any um, control over, really, um, but we could seek treatment for. But others are more, like your mom experienced, more grief. These are normal reactions, but, you know, it's different for her. Her life has changed. Her feelings have changed. Her thinking might change. She might behave differently and with a uh, bereavement. Um, And, you know, that's normal. I don't want to pathologize that at all, but sometimes people need help dealing with that and processing that event. Not everybody does certainly, but some people do. Um, I would say everybody that has a severe episode of the disease of depression would need professional help, but not everyone with grief would. So you you can work through these store, you know, the story that you're telling yourself. Right. You can deal with this and move forward, but um, but if you can't, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. You're having a normal reaction, and some people just need more support than others in dealing with that.
2: Right. But, the, you know, the concept that you're talking about in our, in our stress busting program at the Walmart Charitable Foundation that we offer, you know, across the country, we talk about you know, is that idea of reframing. I, I can't change the fact that my mother has Alzheimer's. I, you know, we can't change the fact that we have depression or, or a family member has a mental illness, but how we deal with that, we have choices uh, and just, re- just taking that one little step we've seen some really positive outcomes with folks not realizing that they are making a choice and how they're dealing with their caregiving situation.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I often say to my patients that, you know, we have feelings that come up and we don't really have a choice about the initial feeling that we have, but we definitely have a choice about uh, our the way we think about that feeling and the way we act in response to that feeling. Sometimes it's You know, you have to really slow it down, right, and say, okay, I'm feeling really angry or frustrated. That's natural. That's normal in certain circumstances. But um, you you do have a choice about how you think about that, how you can reframe that, um, and how you can respond differently differently. We'll talk a little bit. Um,
2: I was reading in the book. You, you talk about a perspectives approach. What is the perspectives approach?
3: Yeah. So uh, I, I trained in psychiatry at Hopkins, um, as have hundreds of people. And since the 1970s, we've really been training our psychiatrists to think about patients from four different perspectives. So we think about, you know, when somebody brings their psychiatric problems to us, we think about. How much of this problem can be explained as a disease, something that a person has? How much can be explained by who the person is, what their personality is like, their either cognitive capacity or their uh, affective temperament, the way they respond to different stimuli? How much of this can be explained by what the person might be doing? Are they harming themselves? Are they... Um, drinking, um, and how much of the problems can be explained by something that they've encountered. And this isn't an either or, um, but looking at a person from and their problems from all four perspectives gives us a a more total understanding of how best to help someone, um, because you really need to understand the origin of the problems to be able to help them. And psychiatric problems, unlike problems for the most part in the rest of medicine aren't all diseases. They aren't all explained by, you know, some kind of broken part in or function in the body. These are sometimes have psychological explanations uh, and our, our, you know, mental life um, is complex. And when it goes awry, it's complex. We're complex human beings and we need to take a complex view and not just say, Oh, everything's a disease. Or everything's a reaction to uh, uh, an event um, and look at everybody really systematically from these four perspectives. So that's what the perspectives approach is about.
1: Talk to us a little bit before we run out of time about the response that you're getting when you talk to folks about uh, finding that good life, living that good life, uh, learning how to survive, to thrive. What are people saying to you?
3: Well, I mean, I think people are, that's a it's a really good question. So let me think about it. I think people are um, are intrigued by the idea of a good life, and it takes some reflection on their part to think about for them what does a good life mean. Um, so much of our lives, we're just kind of you know doing what we need to do to get by, to survive, and we really don't think about what does a good life look like. What do we want out of life? And so being able to reflect on that and hear from other people, especially people who thought about this for thousands of (laughs) years, these philosophers, can help people then think, well, you know, and I think the pandemic's actually given people an opportunity to step back from the day-to-day drudgery and routines of their life to think about, really, what do I want out of life? What does a good life look like? And how can I get there? And so I think this actually, the book is timely in in that because a lot of people are reassessing their lives and whether they are getting what they want out of their lives, whether they're living their life to the fullest potential, and then thinking about what they need to do to get to that uh, goal of leading a good life that they set for themselves.
1: And how do folks get a hold of your book?
3: Well, I do have a website. It's uh, (laughs) Margaret Chisholm without a second H, <laughs> margaretchismmd.com. And there are links to various booksellers there on the, on the website.
1: Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, obviously you work for an incredible institution, Johns Hopkins University. Uh, very impressive. And you're a delight to talk to. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Dr. Chisholm. For Carol Zernio. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Caregiver SOS On Air.
0: Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Companies. If you thought you missed your chance to refinance and save, think again. Mortgage rates have recently dropped below 3%, and Rocket Mortgage can help you save big. You could lower your monthly payment and prepare yourself for a better financial future. But you've got to act now. Call us today at 833-8-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Conditions apply. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030.